you have a Bible today, I want to introduce you to a, a new series called Christian Classics. Christian Classics. And uh, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, which literally means the beginning. And uh, the Bible is not totally arranged in a chronological order, in a sense. However, it does begin with the beginning in Genesis, and it does end with the revelation of what's to come in the book of Revelation. Uh, we can walk through the thousands of years of history recorded there throughout our journey of being a church together. But today, we're going to go to the beginning, and we're going to start telling some of the classical tales of Christianity that I've discovered many today honestly don't even know. It makes uh, moments of worship in the altar, uh, lifting up the name of Jesus, holy is your name. It, 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 without these stories, people don't understand why his name is worthy. They don't, they don't understand why his name is holy. These are going to be some of the foundational pieces that we all need throughout this series to understand what it is God's done for us. Here's what it says beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was the shrewdest of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burst some of your incorrect theological bubbles today because we haven't really read the Bible. We've just, we've just had people tell us what they think the Bible means. But this tells us this being is created. He, he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent. And the truth of the matter was this serpent that is a created being, he was in the garden intentionally, placed there by God. So, so, so this wasn't a surprise when Adam or Eve began to have a conversation with this serpent casting doubt. This was intentional. Do you want to know why? This is intentional because God is not a puppet master. God has given creation the volition called free will. The serpent represented your free choice to either obey or disobey. And God is a God in his sovereignty that is not threatened by you having the sovereign choice to choose right or wrong, good or evil, left or right, up or down. He's so much more sovereign than your sovereign ability to choose. Your sovereignty doesn't threaten his. That he can cause all things. I wish somebody would testify. He can cause all things to work together for good. He can cause the fact that you were a crippled. He can cause the fact that you were an addict. He can cause the fact that you were a drunkard. He can cause the fact that you were a hater of men. He can cause the fact that you were an abuser. He can cause, the, he can cause all these things that you chose to do once you bend and yield. and serve. He can cause all those things to, in the end, be worked for your good and for his glory. Now, you want to talk about a guy that can make a message out of a mess, a star out of a scar, a testimony out of a test. You're talking about the right one now. He says he put this serpent that he had made in the garden. And one day, this shrewd serpent asked the woman, listen to this. Here's what the society we live in today is saying. Did God really say? Did God really mean did God really say you can't have intimacy this way? Did God really say you can't abuse substance this way? Did God really say you have to parent this way? Did God really say you have to attend this way? Did God really say you have to sow financially this way? Sounds just like 
the ideological, secular, humanistic world that we live in today that's ready to question God and his word at the drop of a hat so that you can be comfortable and do what you want to do with your life. Did God really say you must not eat of any fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That's not what God said. God said you can eat of every tree. This wasn't the only tree with fruit. There were bunches of trees and they all had good looking fruit. He just said this one tree, this one tree. Of course, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from upon the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Can I tell you, I'm going to show you two good pictures of what religion does in many of our lives today. And, and this is probably the more subtle. But the first thing that religion does is out of caution, out of well-meaning intentions, it adds to the Word of God restraints or standards or convictions that seem, that seem good, but they're not God. She said, no, this is what God said. God said, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it. God didn't say that. The Bible says, don't add to the Word of God lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. The Old Testament is filled with added traditions, added adaptations, added oral commands of what man said God said that wasn't what God said. Jesus, matter of fact, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. He came back and he taught for days, for weeks. He brought the Old Testament back and he said, let me correct everything that God gave you through Moses that they've been misteaching for 2,000 years. This isn't what he meant about divorce. This isn't what he meant about fasting. This isn't what he meant about prayer. This is it because they've been perverting it, adding to it leave that alone <clears throat> he said you won't die God knows that in the day that you eat your eyes will be open in the day that you eat you'll now be like God he's keeping something back from you God has limited you God doesn't really love you God doesn't God God's holding you back from your maximum potential and he knows the day that you do this now you're gonna really be exalted to a place that you've never been before. Wouldn't that have tricked you too? Wouldn't, wouldn't that have seduced you too? Well, wait a minute. What do you mean God's keeping something? You mean I don't know everything? You mean he's hiding? It's like your wife. She's hiding how much she spent. He's hiding where he was. Oh, put Life360 on his phone. Oh, give me an access code to the bank account. I want to know. This provokes something in Adam and Eve. said, oh, God's keeping something from me. I want to know this. We talk about original sin. This, this is an original sin. I'll just tell you, this is the fall of man. I'm going to show that to you. Original sin happened in the throne room of heaven with Lucifer. The fall of man, that sin was not the sin of disobedience first. It was the sin of self-exaltation. That I want to place myself in a place higher and in a realm that God has not placed me in or called me to. I want to know things that God doesn't want me to know. God's keeping something from me because he doesn't want me to experience good only to find out God put a fence around your yard to keep you from getting run over by that semi-Mac truck that's about to level your house and your playing field. The woman was then convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that the enemy had told her it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. You see what happened the last time we let a woman choose where we were going to eat lunch today? We plunged us, all into, plunged us all into sin. Men, when you leave here today, stand up, take control of your house, pick where you're going to eat. Tell, just kid, just kid, just kid. 
Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I think I got an apple up here today. Usually I got a little apple on the bite with a, with a bite out of it, one, one bite. I want you to know, if you want to know the true meaning of this, you don't need to see the apple with one bite. You need to see the apple with two bites because it wasn't her bite that led us to where we're at. Read the next verse. It was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took and she ate and then she gave some to her husband who was standing right there with her. See, we've got this, we've got this traditional mindset that, that Adam was out there raking a garden. Well, he didn't have to rake a garden. You're going to learn that right now. He wasn't out there because the earth just produced fruit. Men didn't have to work by the sweat of their brow, the toil of the ground. Adam wasn't off playing Xbox. Adam wasn't off watching the football. Adam was right there. And at that point in time from chapters two, end of chapter one and chapter two, Adam was the one with the authority that should have stepped in and said, no, I've given, I've been given authority from God and I'm going to bring you under the authority that God's given me. You're not talking to my wife. You're not talking to my children. You're not talking to my household. You're not bringing that ideology in here. I'm stopping that because I know what God has said. I'm not going to let you suggest things and plant seeds. This is the word of the Lord, but he didn't. And so he who was right there with her, Adam, he's right there with her. When, when he took that fruit and he ate, it says, and at that moment, when Adam ate the second bite, their eyes were open. And suddenly they felt shame and they saw themselves as naked. I want to give you something. This passage is so rich. You're going to get a lot of nuggets along the way today. But the trophy, if you will, of man's disobedience. When, when man made a covenant and, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna say well I didn't make a covenant it's called radical headship we're gonna get in it today God lumped us all in with Adam and I'll show you why in a moment but when when man made the covenant to disobey God what the what the covenant agreement reward was from Satan was perversion the very first thing Satan gave back to man as a reward for disobeying God was he saw pornography. He saw the human body in a form that he had never seen it before. That sin in all of our lives, men or women, that struggle we have goes back to the beginning of creation of all humanity. It was the trophy, if you will, that Satan gave to Adam that he would see his wife now in a perverted way. He'd never seen her that way before. He, she, was, she was just the same she was before. His eyes were opened. But it's amazing when God gets ready to do things in people's lives throughout the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, they really are not coming at God with an opened eye. They're coming at God with a blinded eye. And what God has to do is knock the scales from their eye and truly open their eyes. It shifted man's perspective from heaven to earth. And what God does is come and shifts man's perspective from earth back to heaven. It's not opening our eyes, it's dimming our eyes. It's dulling our hearts, it's perverting the way that we think. It's seeing things carnally. When you get born again, God opens those, knocks those scales, you start seeing things purely and peacefully and joyfully. Come on, there's a lot of preaching in that. So all of a sudden he sees himself in this way and the only thing that they know to do is they go out and they sew some fig leaves together that was the first Victoria's Secret that was ever made. They sewed some fig leaves together. When the cool of the evening breeze began to blow, the man and his wife heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. 
And the Lord God called out to them. You might want to write this down today in your notes. Those of you that take notes, it's going to be important. He said, where are you? Where are you? And the Bible tells us that this was the habit of God. This was the habit of him and the creation of Adam and Eve that in the cool of the day, in the breeze of the evening, that God would come in at the beginning of the Jewish day and he would walk with Adam in the garden and they would converse and talk. And that's a great picture of our prayer life and talking with God in the beginning of our days. He came in for his evening conversation, his morning conversation. Where are you? Where are you? You're hiding. You're, you're hiding. You're, you're, you're in the baggage of your life. You're in, the, you're in the fears of your life. You're in the addiction. Where are you? You're not here. Where are you at? I'm here to talk with you. I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to go with you. So they hid from among, from the Lord among the trees. And the Lord God continued to call out to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Here's what the Lord says. Second question, you may want to write this down today. Who told you that? Who told you that that was a better way of life? Who told you that that was acceptable? Who told you that I was keeping something back from you? Who told you this would make you wise? Who told you that would take your parenting to the next? Who told you that would fix your home? Who told you that? I didn't tell you that. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. Great job, bud. Great job. So I can now also assure every woman in the room that just like we begin to see some things differently at the beginning of creation, we've also been putting the blame on you since that day. It was the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God turned and asked the woman, what is it that you've done? Write that down. It's the third question you're going to need to know today. What have you done? Where are you? Who told you that? And what have you done? I was in an awesome life group this past week that I have the privilege of co-leading with my dear friend, Dr. Courtney Brazier. And uh, she was explaining to us as we're going through the habits of the household, how with our children, it's always more important to ask the what's instead of the why's. I don't know about you, but I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? Why is this messed up? Why did you not put this up? And, and then I went home and I felt myself about to say, why? And I was like, no, no, no. What are you thinking? What's going on? What were you hoping? And I'm seeking to understand by having a conversation, God's asking the what because he's sending a signal that I'm not giving up on you. I'm not about to say, why did you disobey and condemn you? I'm trying to draw you because I still love you no matter where you're at, no matter what you're in, no matter what the situation. I'm trying to draw you in deeper to a conversation to get a understanding from you but so that you can get an understanding from me because my heart is perpetually to redeem you and to restore you this wasn't this wasn't punishment to enact judgment this was this was discipline motivated rooted in love geared towards restoration he said the serpent deceived me she replied, that's why I ate. 
Then the Lord God turned to the serpent and he said, because you have done this, you are cursed and more than all the animals of the earth, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Listen to this. This is Genesis 3.15. For those of you that are real Bible thumpers, this is the very first messianic prophecy, the very first mentioning of a coming Messiah, a redeemer, and all of the pages of holy history. And he says, and I will cause hostility between the woman and between you, between your offspring and between her offspring. And all of a sudden, it moves from vague imagery to a specific person with a capital H in the Bible. It says, and when this offspring comes, he, he will crush your head, Satan, but you will strike at his heel. It's a sign, it's a picture of the blow that Jesus delivered to the forces of darkness bent on destroying humanity's walk in relationship with God when he was crucified on Calvary, even though Satan was striking at his heel to snuff out his life. You know what the New Testament says. He would not have crucified the Lord of glory if he would have known that crucifixion would have shed that perfect blood to redeem all mankind from all times past, present, and future if they would receive him. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and your desire will be for the control of your husband but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit that I commanded you not to eat, now the ground has a curse on it. He didn't curse man, he didn't curse woman. The only one cursed here is Satan and the ground. The ground is now cursed because of you. And all of your life you will struggle scratching from the ground to get a living from it. And it will grow thorns, it will grow thistles, so that through that toil and work you may eat of its grain. And by the sweat of your brow you will have food enough to eat on your table. And it will return to you from the earth from which the Lord God has made. For you were formed from the dust and one day your body to dust it shall return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all those who would live. And the Lord God, listen to this, made a suitable covering for them, animal skins, so that Adam and his wife could be covered of their nakedness. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us that there is no forgiveness, there is no remission of sins, there is no covering of sin without the shedding of blood. See, they sewed together fig leaves, but in a matter of days, those fig leaves would dry, they would wither, they would rot, they would blow away in the evening breeze and they would be naked again. So God's covering, His mercy was to go out and to sacrifice an animal and blood be shed so that that covering, a new hide, could be put over the nakedness of man. And the religious trappings that many of us wear today are the religious trappings of prayer or of worship or of giving or of serving or of witnessing or of sacrificing. But listen to me, my friend. We don't do those things to become Christian. We don't do those things to get close to God. We do those things out of a heart that is already in a relationship with God. Don't ever get it twisted. You are not clothed in the presence of God in a robe of your own righteousness. You're not clothed in the hide of the works of another. You are clothed in the righteousness of the Lamb, in the blood of Jesus, in a glory 
glorious new white robe. And it's in his righteousness that you now stand perfectly redeemed, restored, and in a right relationship with God. Your shame has been covered. Your scarlet sin, your crimson sin has been made white like wool, white and pure as the driven snow. But it also tells us from the law of first mention why blood had to be shed because God said there is no forgiveness of sins unless someone spill its blood. So God sent himself, his man, the word made flesh in the form of a lamb, a sin-bearing sacrifice to shed that blood, to be that covering that would follow the pattern of how man's sin and nakedness from the beginning has been covered. And as the Lord God made the covering of the animal skin for Adam and his wife Eve, then the Lord God said, look, human beings have now become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and they take fruit from the tree of life and they eat of it? Listen to this. Then they will be stuck in a broken, fallen condition forever. So the Lord God then banished Adam and Eve from the garden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which Adam had been made and after sending them out the Lord stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden and he placed a flaming sword there that flashed back and forth to guard the way so that Adam and Eve would not reach out their hand eat of the tree of life and be stuck for eternity in a broken and a fallen state The way we've been taught it, the way we've heard it is, my dad was mad, my mom was mad, God was mad, he had enough of us, he was fed up, we did bad. He kicked us out of the house and turned his back on us. I hope you see today from the holy writ of scripture that God, even in our brokenness, even in providing us choice, even in calling us to a deeper place of understanding, even in protecting us from being perpetually broken for eternity, has been doing all that he's ever done to work the plan of redemption from Genesis 3:15 forward, saying that there's a promised Messiah coming that's going to undo everything the enemy thinks he's done. Every victory the enemy thinks he's won, he's actually going to lose. Because my God can cause all things to work together for good. Father, today, thank you so very much for a great morning, for a rich passage, for a wonderful time in worship, for hearing our prayers for those in the altars and for those away from us today. God, would you speak through me? Would you share your word in power and richness? And would you tell the tales of these Christian classics that help each and every one of us get a better framework and reference point for what you've truly done for all humanity in Jesus' name? Amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time for Miss Ashley Upchurch Norman. Thank you so much, sweet lady, today. I was talking to my good friend, and somebody told me last week, they said, I really don't want you to learn my name, because if you learn my name, that means I'm eligible to be mentioned in a sermon. And that is 100% factual and truthful at Oaks Church. But I was talking to a good friend of mine that's such a good friend of mine, I know he won't care if I mention his name. Donnie Williams and I were visiting yesterday, and and we were talking about the business world, the church world, the commerce world, the world that we live in today, where if if you're anybody in here older than the age of 40, you are now living in a millennial generation where you probably do not understand many of the ways, many of the approaches, many of the of the people that are honestly now the bulk of society on the planet. And so I was sharing 
with Donnie that I was watching this interview. Have you ever seen like on the nightly news where they go out on the streets and they just ask people like general questions? And, and I mean, they may go to Minneapolis, they may go to Chicago, they may go to rural America, they may go to Illinois, and they just say, hey, I want to ask you this, how are you feeling? Sometimes it's political, sometimes it's social, sometimes it's economical. Well, I was watching one a few weeks ago, and it just blew me away. They went out, I've mentioned it before, and they were talking about early American literature. Now, I'm going to just say a name. Goldilocks and? All right. Little Red Riding Hood and? Tom? Tom Sawyer, early American literature, not cartoon. Huck, Huck Finn. And, and, and I wish, hey, at least I know we in there. That's why we get along so good. Me and you, I would have said Tom and Jerry. But in early American literature, there were some foundational stories in, in the birthing of the American social economical experience, this America that we live in today, this early American literature that for centuries prior to the internet, everybody... At some point in time in your life, you heard some of these stories. Well, to my amazement, they went out and they were asking people on the street corners. They would say, Goldilocks and... And they was like, and your mama. <laughs> uh, is that a new song? Is that on YouTube? Is it streaming? Where can I look that up? And I was just astonished by all of the people that had no idea. And I don't know that I even have that strong of a, of a literary background about early American literature, but I think at least in like daycare or after school care, somewhere, somebody, some bored to death babysitter trying to wrangle me in and my misbehavior adolescent years shared this with me somewhere. But most people out there today in a millennial society in general, they don't know. They don't know. And then when the interview went back to the anchor room, they said, now if people in America don't understand and have any concept, any frame of reference for early American literature, you are kidding yourself if you think they know the classical tales of the Bible. If you think they know about Daniel and the lion's den, if you think they know about Samson, we're gonna talk about Samson next week. Anybody know what next week is? Next week's the Super Bowl, right? It's okay, everybody's scared to death right now, you're gonna say the wrong answer, right? <laughs> next week, we're having Oaks Bowl. We're having Oaks Bowl next week. They're going to, I probably jacked all that up this morning with the host moment videos, but I'll get them to share that with you throughout the week. But next week we've got Oaks Bowl. We want everybody to wear something uh, team oriented. We want everybody to wear something. We're going to have big fingers and air in the air and pom-poms and, and rally towels. It's going to be great. We got some photo booths coming, but we're really excited about Oaks Bowl. And I'm really excited to tell the story of Samson. And Pastor Chris and I were talking a few weeks back about playing to the whistleblows. And, and when I think about somebody that played to the whistleblows, I, I, I think about Samson that even though he had great highs and he had great lows, he continued to play. Anybody ever seen college football when the third quarter ends and they stand on the sidelines and they, they hold up their four fingers? What are they saying? There's one more quarter left. We made it to here, boys. We got, we got 15 more minutes. We got 12 more minutes. Let's, let's play the fourth quarter. This is the last quarter that matters. Play to the whistleblows. We're kidding ourselves if we think these people know these stories of the Bible. And so I've been challenged through our staff, through Brooke, through others to just take some time and go back through some of these classical tales 
of the Bible, classical tales of Christianity, and help people here at Oaks Church. So many coming from different walks of life. So many coming from different places. So many not knowing to help you better get a grasp and a full picture of the story of redemption that God paints in the Bible. You know, if I was to introduce a little bit of a context to this passage of Scripture today, I think I would just simply say this. Every time you read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24, you should know you're reading the account of the fall of man. If I was to offer any sub-commentary points to that thought of this being the fall of man, I would want you to see what I've already said twice now, that God, even in man's disobedience, God is already actively working four or five different verses showing it that God God is trying to work to undo. God is trying to work to restore. God is trying to work to bring about change. That even in the face of disobedience, God was not caught by surprise in this. God put Adam in the garden with the tree to choose from, with the temptation of the enemy, so that knowing through his sovereignty that he would choose wrong, that God could restore him and perpetually save all men in Adam for all eternity. You've got to see that God was not caught off guard here. Your divorce didn't catch God off guard. Your drug addiction didn't catch God off guard. Your hard heart didn't catch God off guard. Your disobedience didn't catch God off guard. Anything you backed up and fell off into, it did not catch God by surprise. He already knew this was coming in your life, and he still has a heart that is actively searching to save and to restore you. I had mentioned this other thought a moment ago called radical headship, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But if I was to just digress a bit into the theological concept of radical headship, it is literally the concept that God would lump all in with one, all in with one. Now let's just talk for a moment because I, I like you and you like me and we're friends. How many of you would be real and say, you know, there's been times in my life when I've read the Bible, I'm like, I wasn't there that day. I wasn't in that garden. Is there a lady here that's ever had a painful childbirth? Like, what in the blue blazes did I do? Like, why am I up here on this hospital bed holding on to the sheet, squeezing my husband's arm to death, begging for an epidural, trying to get this baby out? What did I do to deserve this? Has anybody ever been outside hot, weed eating, cutting briars, building fence, working, toiling? Like, why do I got to come out here and scratch in the ground? I wasn't there that day. I wouldn't have done what Adam did. I'm smarter than that. If I would have known you and walked with you and you would have told me not to eat and not to let that come I would have done it right is that I have any of those people in here no you wouldn't have no you would not have no you you're fooling yourself well if I would have seen God part the Red Sea God has parted the Red Sea in your life before God has done the impossible God has stayed his hand God's delivered you God's and we still go back to that I want to be crippled behavior It's easier to revert back to our crippled state and our begging state than it is to live that abundant life outside of the walls and the barriers of what God freed us from. Pastor Todd told me, he said, man, you got to preach a series called Life on the Outside. Life life on the outside of your pain. Life on the outside of your addiction. Life on the outside of your divorce. God, life on the outside of your bankruptcy. Life on the outside. But if you've ever been bankrupt, it's easier to go back to a poverty mindset. If you've ever been divorced, it's easier to go back to being alone and isolated and secluded than it is to live again and to dream again and to love again and to hope again and to trust again. So many of us get so comfortable going back to where where God found us broken and hopeless and it's just easier to live crippled there. 
than it is to learn the beauty and the power of living on the outside. He came to free you from that, but to also give you the ability to live that new abundant life on the outside. On the outside. And what we see here in this radical headship with God trying all humanity in Adam is God was smarter than man is, that God was smarter than Satan is, that, that God knew that he could skip thousands and thousands and thousands of years because what was in Adam would be in you and we would all ultimately make the same decisions that Adam would made and so that Adam made and so God lumped us all in Adam. I, I want to read that passage to you right quick. This is found in Romans chapter 5. This is really out of order with my notes here, but it says this, beginning in verse 12. When Adam sinned and disobeyed God in the garden, sin then entered the world. And Adam's sin then brought death. The wages of sin are... Side note. How many of you need a raise? How many of you need a raise? How many of y'all need a raise? Anybody on church staff, you can't say that. Because <laughs> we don't ask people for money. <laughs> Look, I see you. We just do what God tells us to do. <laughs> How many of you need a raise? I think there's a ladder back there. Can you get that ladder? It's got about six steps in it. We, we give everybody here a raise. Right after church today, this speaker's got to come down. This thing's got to come down. We get you right up here. We get you right. I'm just kidding. Um, so many of us in life think that getting a raise getting ahead is important and at times it is and learning to do and to manage and to steward what you were raised to is just as important as getting the raise however with us at times worried about what's the what's the uh uh, uh, uh what's the pay rate what's the pay scale what's minimum wage i can tell you a pay scale that has never changed the wages of sin has always paid death the wages of sin stills pay death, and there's no trick of the enemy that can undo that, and the wages of sin tomorrow in your life will pay death. It don't matter what sin it is, it still pays the same transaction in currency. It still brings death to your emotions. It brings death to your spirituality. It brings death to your marriage. It brings death to your faith. It brings death to your hope. It brings death to your marriages. It brings death to your prayer. The wages of sin still pays the same. It pays death. And it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and right on the heels of sin came death, the death of our body, the decree, the decaying of the world that we live in, the decaying of tissues and dust and dirt and atoms and particles. This process of death was then released in the earth. So death then spread to everyone. Check this out. For everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the giving of the law which came through Moses. But it was not counted as sin to those people because they didn't even know there was a law that they were breaking. But yet still sin was in the earth and they were sinning. And the proof of that was everybody was dying from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey some explicit command of God for they may not have even known God or had an explicit command from God as Adam did. But now Adam is a symbol for all of us of a second and last Adam that is to come. I want to I leave that there, that, that God looked at Adam in the garden, and he says, I'm going to lump all humanity that's about to come through Eve. She is going to be the mother of creation, and I am now enacting what you've done on all of them so that one day I can come and unact 
or enact a greater plan, a greater redemption through one man that can do something you or she could never do. God is such, I don't even know the right words there. That would be a little bit of uh, my, my thoughts on Genesis chapter 3 for you today as a little bit of commentary that'll maybe help you drum up a desire to read the Bible and to go back through this passage maybe sometime this weekend to challenge you to see some richness in this passage that you've not seen or discovered or known before. But where I want to go today is back to those three questions I asked you to write down, and this will be where I'll hang my hat for the next 10 or 15 minutes and share the word that God put in my heart. If I was going to tell the classical Christian story of the fall of man, of the story of Adam and Eve, it begins. This is the very first thought that hits my mind. Where are you? Where are you? I, I want to ask you that today. Where are you? Where, where are you? And, and I know what you're thinking. You got to be thinking it. You're thinking, well, I'm at Bayou Point. And, and I want you to know I'm, I'm not asking you where are you geographically today. I, I know very well where you're at right now because I see you. And, and I want you to know that God, who created all, who knows all, who is in all and is through all and is because of all and sees in all times and all places, God did not need Adam to tell him that he was over there hiding in the bushes with sewn together fig God didn't need Adam to tell him anything that he had done. God already knew what he had done. God was asking Adam a rhetorical question to get Adam to ask himself a question that the hardened heart of fallen man fails to ask themselves when we find ourselves trapped in the prison of sin. We fail to ask ourselves, where am I at in my disappointment? Where am I at in my shame? Where am I at in my pain? Where am I at in my addiction? Where am I at in my unhappiness? Where am I at in my marriage? Where am I at in my faith? Where am I at in my hopes? Where am I at in my walk with God? We just get sucked into the trap of staying hidden and covered falsely in the lie and the life we bought into. But God walks in and he says, where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam, I'm asking you so you can ask yourself, where are you? And God didn't need him to tell him I'm over here hiding. What God was signifying is now we're separated, J. Mike. What God was saying was, we're no longer together. Our walk is not there. I'm here. It's the cool of the day. I'm present. I'm ready to stroll. It don't matter that you're fallen. It don't matter that you see perversion. It don't matter that you disobey. It don't matter that you're covering with false cover. I'm still here, ready to hold your hand and stroll down life's lovely lane with you. But you're separated from me. Where are you? Where are you? You know, if God was mad, he wouldn't have showed up. You ever, you ever had people do that to you, Stacy? They're mad at you so they don't do what? They don't show up. God showed up. I'm here. Where are you? Where are you? Look, I, I love this passage of Scripture. It's found in Isaiah. I quote it a lot. Isaiah 59 and 1 says, listen, the, the ear of the Lord is not too dull to hear. I'm showing you how we ended up in this human condition. But I'm also walking away from history into application of your life. You may hear the Lord asking me to ask you right now by the Holy, where are you? 
Where are you at in your hopes? But I know Miss, Miss Edie is going through it, brother. I, I know she, you have been in the hospital and up and down and nursing homes and fingers and eyes and pain. Where are you with your faith? I'm not calling you out. I'm not. Where are you with your hope? Don't let your faith waver. Don't let your hope down. God's saying, where are you at in this purity walk? Where are you at in your love for your spouse? Where are you at in your forgiveness? Where are you at in your passion with God? Where are you at in your reading plan? Where are you at in your devotion? Where are you at? I don't know. God just telling me to ask you where are you personally but I also want you to see that no matter where the answer of that question honestly leads you to I'm frustrated I'm mad I'm bitter I'm hurt I'm disappointed I don't even care I have bought into a lie God can handle that and his ear is not too dull to hear what you say and his arm is not too short or weak and to reach out and say but he comes back and he says it's not my ear that's the problem It's not my arm that's the problem. It's the sin that you've taken up adaptation with and taken up habitation with. It's that sin that separated not me from you, but you from me. And God's saying, it's not me leaving you today. It's this thing is causing you to leave me. But I'm here ready to walk with you. Where are you? Where are you? Let's stroll together. I don't know what you came in here separated from me today, from me with today, but God's here saying, where are you? I'm here. Let's stroll. Let's walk. And then, and then what we do is, is what we do is we come back and we say, well, he told me. Well, she told me. Well, they told me. They told me it was just vape. They, they told me it was just cherry. Well, they told me it was just anxiety. Well, they told me it was just antidepressant. Well, they told me it was just nicotine. Well, they told me it was legal. Well, they they told me it was over the counter. Well, they told me you could get it on Sunday. Well, they told me it wasn't. They didn't tell me it wasn't a pathway. They told me it wouldn't destroy my marriage. They told me it was just one dream. They told me it was just one night out with the girls. They told me it was just one weekend away with the boys. They they told me this was good for them. They told me this didn't help them. This didn't help them get further. It didn't hurt them. They told me. And he says, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that? I didn't tell you that. They told you that. Listen to what they say. They, they say a lot. They, they say a lot. Who are they anyways? Isn't that what Pastor Denny said? Who are they anyways? Who are they anyways? Who told you that you were naked? Here's what the Apostle Paul writes about people who fall into the enemy's trap of assuming his ways are better than God's ways. He says in Romans 1 and 25, these people, what they do through the deceit of the enemy is they trade the truth about God for a lie. And they're duped, deceived into worshiping and serving things that have been created and they lose sight of a relationship with a loving creator who is the only one concerned about you, about your self-care, about your abundance, about your well-being. He is the only one worthy of your eternal worship and praise. Listen, there is a world out there today that says he loves you so much you can do what you want. He loves you so much you can live any way you want to live. He loves you so much he understands your heart. He loves you so much. Listen, and that is some of the biggest self-deception of the world going on around us 
today. My friend, God loves you too much to leave you how you are, like you love your children too much to let him grow up and be lazy or to be disrespectful or let her be a harlot or let them to be a racist or let them be anything other than what God has already put in your heart by his spirit for them to be. God will love you right where you're at. He'll find you at your lowest of low, but the enemy is out there saying to you, you can stay there and God will still love you. God does love you, but if you ever get radically invaded with the love of Almighty God, it's just a matter of time before God starts changing you. Not the preacher, not your mama-in-law, not your daddy-in-law, not your friend, not your bestie, not your brother, not your sister, not your mama. All of a sudden, something of God, that new nature, that divine seed in you starts welling up and crying out to move out, to be free, to be delivered, to be whole, to function, to properly work, to be a godly man, to be a godly woman, to be a good parent, to be a good husband, to be a life-giving person, to be a person that's free from bitterness, somebody that can love and sow seed and bless and help. God starts doing it in you. God starts making you new. God starts birthing you again. God starts making you the man or woman he wants you to be. And you clearly see that it was love the entire time that found you broken, found you hopeless, but loved you too much to leave you there perpetually stuck in that state for eternity. It was love that disciplined me. It was love that discipled me. It was love that protected me. It was love that molded me. It was love that shaped me. And it would not be love that would allow me to stay stuck on stupid and stuck in broken. What that would be is lovelessness. What that would be is I love you so little you can stay fractured. You can stay sick. You can stay ill. You can stay wrong. You can stay unwhole. You can stay unhealthy. That's not the love of God. That's not the love that God has. Who told you that? Who told you that was okay? Who, who told you that was? Well, they said, I was uh, at my life group this past week and they were talking about, I think it was Jennifer. She was talking about when her son used to come home and she'd ask him about a grade. He said, well, they all, and she said, no, 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 I ain't they mama. I'm your mama. And so so I asked Foster something the other day at his little birthday party. Our, our family, I, th- I think she shot me four times in the face with a Nerf gun. Four t- and, and then when I called her out about it, and took around. She said, well, all the little kids are so little, I have to aim. And I was like, exactly. You're not aiming. You're aiming up. That lie don't even make no sense. You're not aiming down. You're aiming up. You shoot me in the face. But daddy, they all. I said, I ain't they daddies. I'm your daddy. Amen. I don't care what they said. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they teach. I don't care what they espouse. I don't care what's coming out of the universe. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the ideologies of the modern world are. What we don't know and haven't taken time to study is there is nothing new under the sun and all of the fads and all of the trends and all of the things that are resurfacing are centuries old. They are centuries upon centuries old. These things have already ravaged human civilizations. They've already ravaged human populations. They've already sown the seed of destructions. Go study the courses of all of the major civilizations that's ever been on the planet of the earth. The very things that we're seeing today were part of the total demise of every one of them that's already practiced them hundreds of thousands of years ago, hundreds or thousands of years ago, and it crushed their societies, and yet we're expecting it in dumbness and naiveness for it not to cripple our households. 
I don't care what they say. What did he say? Check this out. This is going to be tight, but it's going to be right. Miss Ashley, would you come help me land this plane? I wish I knew how to play it. I'd do it myself. No, y'all better not. I better stay in my lane. We, we, say some, we say something in staff. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Stay, stay in your lane. You do what you're good at doing. It's, it's not a... <laughs> the Spirit going to lead some people out of here. I go to play in that thing. <laughs> they're going go to go to... Son, they're going to be praying for Pastor Chad so hard. <laughs> Pastor Chad going to get up like this. <laughs> they're going to say, we got to get Pastor Chad back. Get Pastor John off that keyboard. Love this question. What have you done? What have you done? What have you done? See, here's the tough question. The the, the tough question is when God calls us. When when God calls us. See, God help me, Holy Spirit. I'm going to just slow down a minute. Mm, Because this is the toughest one. Where are you is easy to hear because in where are you, you quickly see that it's an invitation to come to a place you're not. So you immediately, if you you read game or peep game or pick up, you got street sense or perception, you realize that, that God's not just putting you on blast, he's calling you to a new place. And then you also hear when God says, who told you that, that God's really upset at the liar instead of the lie that you believed. But now this is the first time that God calls us to be self-introspective about what, not what, what they did or she did, or, but what have you done? And there's a, there's a world of sloppy agape, of easy believism, of cheap grace. And I'm all about altar calls and hand raise and praying sinners' prayers and leading people in a, in a confession of faith. I, I mean, I'm with that. I'm, I'm not against that. But at the same time, at the same time, when you really go through repentance, when you really go through remorse, when you really go through conviction, when you really go through change in your life, it's, it's simple. It's like this. Let's say I broke in your house and I stole $1,000. And then next Sunday, I ran to the altar and I asked God to forgive me. Do you think God would forgive me? Well, the first thing I would tell you as a pastor is one of the harshest sins that God ever judged in the Bible is the sin of presumption, presuming that God's going to do something you would then go disobey, presuming him to do. That's exalting yourself to a place above God, forcing his hand. So stay away from the sin of presumption. Second thing that I would tell you is that part of true repentance and forgiveness would be then restitution to me go back to you and give you the thousand dollars back. It wouldn't just be I came and I asked God to forgive me. Would God forgive me? Yes, but part of that forgiveness, God would say to me, go to you and give you your money back or set up a payment plan or tell you I'm wrong and I'm sorry. And that would show the fruit. What John the Baptist say? Don't just come to me to be water baptized. Say better yet, I'll water baptize it when you go show me a life that's been changed. Right? So what God's doing now, this gets tight, but right, and he says, okay, what have you done? Well, I had a bad attitude. What have you done? I don't know. And, I, and you know, we don't, I mean, we don't all, it's the first time I can remember in a long time we preached a sermon, kind of this Bible, this, this, this theological, or this deep, or this heavy, or this convicting, but God's saying, what have you done? What, what, what did that do in your home? What did that do in your mind? What did that do in your spirit? What did that do in your heart? What did you do? And, and it's, not that God's ju- it's not that God's ready to condemn. 
It's God's needing to invite you into this so that you can see the failure of your thinking so that you can see the inadequacies or the inaccuracies in the lie that you believe. And so here's what God's saying. What have you done? And the lady, don't you know in truth, she said, well, I thought you kept something from me. Well, I thought this, this plan would make me wiser. I thought it was better. How do you think God would respond to that? How would a mom respond to that? Don't you see, baby, it didn't? Don't you see it was a trick? Don't you see she was trying to get this from you or he was trying to get this for you? Don't you see they were trying to do it? I'm not down on you. I'm just trying to get you to think next time so that you don't fall for the okie doke, for the flip flam, for the whim wham. I'm trying to get you to see don't let old Johnny Riffraff run game on you. Don't fall for this again. You're going to end up back in a clink, back up crippled, back up broken, back up addicted, back up bitter, back up mad. I'm trying to get you to think through this. What did you do? What'd you do? At the end of that, after she said, well, he, she, they, me. You know, at some point she had to say, I disobeyed. I disobeyed. Adam had to say, I I disobeyed. And here's what I want you to know. While God is a loving God and a forgiving God, are you ready for this? All sin has consequences. All sin has consequences. You rear back. You go out there to that placid, beautiful bayou right there. And you rear back and you find some of the trash that we found around here this morning. You throw it out there in that water. Boosh! And then what happens on that water? The ripple effect. I may forgive you. Your wife may forgive you. God will forgive you. But the ripple effects of that is you look up 6,000 years later and you don't know why you got a nasty mouth. Why you got a hard heart? Why you got a bad attitude? Why you want to throat punch somebody when they cut you off in traffic? Why you want to bless somebody out in the name of the Lord? No, when you said, well, may the Lord bless you. You really meant, I want to. There's a ripple effect of what Adam and Eve did in that garden that passed it down. I just read it to you. And when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and sin brought death and death has been spreading to everybody, even from Adam to Moses, even when they didn't have an explicit command. But yet God wanted you to know that this is a symbol of a representation, what is to come. But there is a great difference between the first Adam and the last Adam. There's a great difference between Adam's fallen original sin of man in the garden and God's gracious free gift that is to come for the sin of this one man Adam did bring death to many but even greater is God's wonderful grace and the gift of his forgiveness to many through this last Adam whose name is Jesus the Christ and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation for all, but God's free, gracious gifts leads to many being made right with God, even though we're all guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and the gift of righteousness for all who will receive it that then they could learn to live triumphantly over sin and death through their relationship with this one man, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're getting that. I think so many today, I think so many today think 
Like, like if, if you're in here today and you're from an, a well-to-do family, you're from a wealthy family, or, you, or, you're, or you're from means or have a background, when, you know, hopefully when your family dies, they leave you a legacy, they leave you an inheritance, they leave you something. And, and, and no matter really what you do in life, unless you're just an absolute knucklehead, you're going to get that. Unless they writ you, wrote you out of it. But that doesn't mean you're ready to have that. Amen? So many think in Christianity that, that, that when I'm born into the family, that just through osmosis, I get all of what God has done, and then I just supernaturally walk in it every day. That's not what this Bible verse says. The Bible verse says that when you get in God's family and you come into a relationship with Him, what He's offering you is a new path and a new walk and a new life to victory, but it's you learning to use what God has given you to dominate sin in your life, to walk in victory, and to be in righteousness. Then it's not, oh, I was just born into having all this. It's, I know how to use all this. It's one thing to have, have, have wisdom. It's another thing to have understanding. You may know the right thing, but you may not know how to apply the right thing. You may know the right thing to do, but you may not know how to communicate it correctly to get it done. You can know stuff, but can you do stuff? I know I'm Christian. I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. I know I come from a rich inheritance, but I know, do I know how to apply it to my mouth, to my mind, to my heart, to my talk, to my walk, to my brothers, to my sisters, to my wives, to my life? That's a good place to start, my own self. The Bible says work out your own salvation. You got you to work at this thing. Not to be saved. I was saved. I'm being saved. Thank God one day I'm going to be saved. But you just get to walk out of here today on your blessed assurance and live in victory. That's not how it works. You got to use the gifts that God's given to live and to discover the righteous victory God's son died for you to have. And that's what makes this gift so much more powerful and so much better than what Adam plunged all mankind into. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life to everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many did become sinners. But because one other man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, because he obeyed God, many will be made the righteousness of Almighty God. The first tale of Christian classics is very simply this. I want you to know how all man ended up in the predicament that we're at, the situation that we're in. And I also want you to know that God who perfect foreknowledge, who saw down the road, who knew the choice that Adam would not only make, but every one of us would make, already before placing us in the garden with the tree and the serpent of temptation, already planned from the foundation, which means the falling away of the earth, to send his son to be slain for the world. So that as the last Adam who could do righteousness, we could all believe and the curse could be undone and we could be restored and live in righteousness and victory in God. So I want to ask you something. If that is Bible doctrine, sound theological teaching, I want to ask you three questions to make them applicable to your life today. Where are you? Where are you? Who told you that? And can God invite you into a conversation to help you explore what you've done? Because here's what God wants to exchange with you today. 
James says that if you'll just come out of hiding, you'll just come out of the bushes, if you'll just come out of your religious trappings and draw nigh unto me, God says, I'm already standing here waiting to draw nigh unto you. Who, who, who told you that? Here, here's what the Bible says. Therefore, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed as God renews your mind. You, you don't have to think the way they think. You don't have to see the world through their paradigm. You don't have to believe what they believe. God can give you his paradigm, heaven's perspective, his truth to dissuade the eras of the world you live in today. God offers you this. He says, listen, what have you done? Come unto me. Confess your sin. I'm faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse of all unrighteousness. So everything the enemy is tricked and trapped and duped us from Adam into doing, God stands ready today to undo every bit of it for you to leave here new, for you to leave here whole, for you to leave here happy, for you to leave here healed, for you to leave here in a new walk, in a new talk, in a new road, in a new way with God in your life. I want to ask you today if everyone in this place wouldn't mind if you'd stand up on your feet today. I'm going to ask the worship team, would, would they get ready to come back? Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. Maybe shut yourself away with God for just a few moments today. Is anything that's been said in this place today, in anything you've heard from God, is anything spoke to you, spoke to you about where you are today? Have you heard God appealing to your heart, calling you out, calling you into, calling you to new, offering you grace and mercy and forgiveness? Do you understand in your, in your intellect now, just just how we got to this place are you beginning to put the foundational formidable stones of christianity in their rightful place of why this offer of salvation this offer of forgiveness this offer of healing is so beautiful why at the beginning we sing worthy is your name jesus you came to do you came to undo you came to heal you came to restore you came to mend you came to make you are worthy jesus i see it now i needed it you're the answer I don't know who you are, where you're at, or what you need in this place today, but if any of that's spoken to you, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pray with me right now. Father, today, some, if not much, or all of this has spoken to me, has uh, registered with me, resonated in me, and, and, and I'm, 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 I'm both enlightened today and, and challenged today, convicted today, stirred today encouraged today to be drawn out and into out of a fall into a rise out of a backslide into a speed forward out of darkness into light out of bitterness into happiness out of unforgiveness into restoration and wholeness that's the gospel of the kingdom that's the good news and God I want that today in my marriage I want that today in my home I want that today in my heart. I want that today in my life. I want that today in my walk with you. Would you help me 
today, God? Would you forgive me today, God? I, I not only confess today, God, but I've, I've thought through it. I've looked through it. I've looked through what I've done, what it's done. And I make a clear-cut decision to move away from it, to move out of it, and to begin to exercise the power, the victory you've given me to live in righteousness, to live in purity, to live in holiness, and to live in the abundant provision, the richness of the kingdom of heaven that you've given to me in Christ. That makes me the light of this world, the salt of this earth, the city set up on a hill, the righteousness of you, almighty God, that brings joy and hope and peace and forgiveness and grace and power and love to every situation that I'm into. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.